Well, good morning. <clears throat> I just want to share something really quick because uh, it was interesting to me that um, how this stuff just kind of connects. Um, so, long story short, uh, the wife, um, my wife, has uh, fallen in love with uh, some culture, uh, particularly Japanese culture. And uh, recently we had a friend who went to the Ghibli amusement park. And so she was super interested in that. My wife loves the Totoro because of relatives. We introduced uh, how cool the Ghibli um, animation studios, how cool they are. And the stories are very, very good. Uh, many of them are very old. And so we were just watching, uh, I was watching someone talk about, uh, what was it, Spirited Away. And he was talking about a few scenes and particularly why they love this particular um, illustrator, artist. It was because he doesn't just fill the entire time with action or, you know, he allows you, kind of like what I've mentioned before, I love E.E. E. Cummings because his poetry forces you to be the author, right? The lack of punctuation alone uh, forces you to, you know, decide what uh, and how uh, the poem flows. So in this case, um, the discussion was about some gaps, the time between major events, and how they love that they allow these things to unfold naturally, just, you know, you... You surmise, you suss, you grok the the uh, the character's thoughts, just from you know, as if you were in that experience, right? They're not saying what she's thinking about. They're not really um, like sometimes what they'll do is they'll uh, you know cut away to you know say like a a fantasy cut, right? No, they just show the character looking around and. So you have to just imagine for yourself what they might be thinking about. I'm sorry, I, I'm digressing a little bit too much about this. But what I wanted to share was something fairly important. Um, it's very similar to the one that I shared earlier, Mu. That idea of uh, Joshu asking about Buddha nature in a dog. Uh, and the response was Mu. Which sometimes people say it's no, some people say it's a bark. Uh, but Mu is more kind of, an, in a sense, an opposite to what I'm going to talk about, this uh, term that the illustrator uh, used to express these, these periods between major events in, in, um, in the artwork. Ma. So, Mu and Ma. Mu is more known, um, I would consider it more like an emptiness or an absence or not. No or not. Because if you truly learn the Zen parable of uh, Joshu asking about Buddha nature, the response is no, not. Right? Because as soon as you become dualistic in your understanding is as soon as you fail. In fact, even in this video I was watching, he misunderstood. Because he talks about Ma as separate from the rest, and I'll explain that in a moment. So Mu is actually uh, chastising the student for not understanding that there is no separation between yourself and the dog, 
right? So if you have Buddha nature, so does the dog. But really, the real truth is there is no separation between your perception of a dog, a label of a dog, or any of that being essentially mind-only, this teaching, the non-duality or the mind-only, either way, the teaching is, no, you don't get it, bud, moo. You just don't get it, right? Of course, a dog has Buddha nature as everything else has Buddha nature because, you know, it's the it's just the, the duality of non-duality, right? Because everything has the potential. But... I digress, because what we want to talk about here is Ma. And I laughed because um, this is a modern interpretation of the character Ma. Ma, nowadays, is made up of the character for door, doorway, passageway, uh, and uh, the character for sun. And it means the passage of time or the time between. And what it really means is presence. It's those moments in time when you're not being distracted by some sort of event or a happenstance, it's the time that you can actually be, right? Similar to the basho in Japanese I've mentioned before, right? You're there, you're present, you're aware, you're experiencing, you're truly living. As I said before, it's part of the character for human being in Japanese. So I found it interesting that the... Um, I didn't even mention it in my comment, but I found it interesting in the video that I forgot to mention that idea that you take um, person, ren, uh, nin in Japanese, par pardon me, and you add this character ma for the passage of time, and that becomes human being. So you take person and place, being, experience, presence. That's what truly makes a human being. So what I found really funny is I immediately recognize the character. But of course, I know it from the I Ching, right? The Oracle Bone scripts and where it goes way, way, way back. A thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand. Depends on who you speak to. Many, many, many centuries. How about we'll say that? To the dawn of this written language, what they call the uh, Sino-Japanese or whatever you'd want to call it. This character goes back to when it used to be the character for a doorway and the moon. And what it meant was moonlight through a doorway. It meant the passage of time. So it wasn't strictly the time in between, you know, events, as it was explained in this video and supposedly explained by the artist, that it's these moments, these quiet moments, when we, you know, experience but the real teaching here is it's those moments, right? This is the budo, the way, the martial way, but it's, it's the way of action. This is the moment that we actually live when we're, you know, present and aware and paying attention. I mean, it's the reason why I've been recording the podcast. They've been my, my guru. They've been my touchstone. They've been a way for me to understand. As I said a few years ago, I was unable to write down my thoughts, let alone really organize them, but sharing them in the podcasts allowed me to put this stuff together, right? My understanding, my experience, uh, the experiences and understandings of some of these authors, these hundreds and hundreds of books that carry within them universal 
stories. But again, as William James said, we are all very personal. Or Churi, the uh, Tiantai uh, patriarch in China, who said there is no end to sentient beings. So how could there not be no end to the uh, doorways to entry to this path? Right, so I found it absolutely uh, wonderful that um, I was able to understand this. But again, I found it a little sad because, as I said before, there's a number of characters that have lost their understanding. Their meat. This might be yet another one of them. Um, as I said uh, in Japanese, basho, almost exclusively used as a term for sumo instead of truly the lesson that lies within or even hakioi. Hakioi, uh, an expression used in sumo for good luck, uh, do your best, uh, it goes all the way back to the original Sino language, and it meant propitious, right? So, you know, putting your best foot forward. I mean, a combination of all of this, you know, your best self, your best time, your best focus, your best efforts. Um, hakioi, may, may, may uh, the Tao shine upon you. I know that sounds silly, but the way it works, the true understanding, it's not like um, you're being blessed, but the way it works is if you if you operate within the Tao of heaven and the Tao of earth, then things just work out. Um, you're not in your own way, as it were, right? So it's not inaction. It's just get out of your own way. Uh, in fact, the last little quip that I'm going to share with you is another Zen parable that is often not properly taught. And it's this idea of two monks arguing over whether the flag is flapping or the wind is moving. And then the senior monk sticks his head out of a window because he was being disturbed, as the story goes, and says, you're both wrong. Right? It's your lips that are moving. But the lesson is it's their mind that is moving. And that's my final uh, chitta vritti naroda. I've explained this before. It's very commonly taught in Tantra, in Shaivism, um, Vedanta, Bhagavad Gita, this idea of uh, chitta, mind, consciousness, being, vritti, um, fluctuations, flapping like a flag. Naroda means to cease. So our goal is to cease these needless flappings of the mind. It's not to cease all action. It's not to cease all thought all being, right? I, I commonly say this, not self. It's not no self. It's not self. It's not who you think it is. It's like uh, Jung's individuation process. We must get in touch with who we truly are. And and I just came back from my walk. I was thinking about this um, character. But funny enough, a friend of mine, oh, actually it even fits too. A friend of mine shared a little uh little post that was um, what's the most astounding piece of science or whatever that you've seen recently. And for me, it was a study that just came out of Trinity College in Ireland. And they may have proven that the mind is a quantum entanglement device. I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to put this across, right? Quantum entanglement um, matrix. Can I say that? I mean, I like that word, right? Because I talk about chitamatra, uh, which is uh, mind matrix. So let's call it, right, um, uh, supra-mundane consciousness. Because 
it looks like we're able to tap into something absolutely external, right? This quantum entanglement proves the mind is embodied, but it also is metaphysical in a sense. So it proves this idea of Shakti, but not in the religious sense, but that we are all connected, right? And what I mentioned to a friend, it's interesting because it might prove that the open problem of induction in philosophy is not open and it's not a problem, right? Induction is this quantum entanglement, this William James, I think, inspired Carl Jung's collective unconscious. William James just called it, um, I call it... um, an extrasensory consciousness. I guess you could call it a super mundane consciousness, something outside of ourselves. In fact, I might have to uh, trademark that, uh, super mundane consciousness. Right? It's this unified uh, consciousness theory, right? That we truly are an embodied creature uh, tapping into a unified shared consciousness, right? So it's kind of like Tesla's energy in a sense. So don't think of your battery cell uh, as the source of the energy. In fact, it is actually, if you really want to get down this rabbit hole, you'll actually find that it actually does work this way. A battery is not really providing the power. It's allowing you to tap into a matrix of energy. Right? So... What truly is the embodiment, the being, the the villain mat, that which propels us, our shakti, our being, our dikini, our zela, our soul, our atman, our alma, our being, our soul, the self, the true self, not the I, is actually this metaphysical consciousness that we all tap into and share. It teaches this equanimity. It teaches this ignorance and this delusion. Because it's the disconnection from the source, a disconnection from this truth. And it doesn't have to be uh, like something other than just a system But the problem lies, and I'll quote Carl Jung in chapter 5 of Axiom. Carl Jung opens up by talking about how the Christ uh, consciousness, or the being, or the understanding of Christ, this um, metaphysical, beyond-ourself understanding of existence, was replaced by what he calls the Luciferian uh, tendencies or qualities of science. And I'm not quoting it exactly. The word is correct, Luciferian. But again, he uses Latin so frequently. And you have to understand, he's not using this, I believe, strictly in the sense of the name. Yes, he is, because he's talked about how Christ as an archetype and the name and the meaning. And I've talked about how God itself, the word, has much greater power to us here in the West. So Christ, right, has this great power, as does the name Lucifer. But Don't forget this play of light and dark. Because the previous chapter, he talked about how we were afraid of the light, and some people are afraid of the dark, and the truth is to embrace both. I think what he was talking about is the light bringer, Lucifer the light bringer. 
But the problem is, is this play on black and white, right? The Lightbringer is truly attempting to lead us to a union of these opposites, not a separation or a disconnection from them. So it's this union. And that's what Jung was trying to get at. That science so often says it's bringing light, but in reality, it's obfuscating the truth that we may never be able to know. It sounds weird, but it's the tetralemma. It's the chattiscoti. So when you understand that as a finite being trapped in an infinite um, existence, it is absolutely impossible for us to believe that we could ever truly know, let alone possibly understand, but never truly know our existence, our being, ourselves. So this is where this idea of tapping into a deeper uh, post-self kind of, that's why I say a super mundane being. For me, on my walk, I realized that it's not that different from the guru relationship. Because without a relationship with a teacher, you have no one to bounce this stuff off. And so, just like Jung says in Axiom and Answers for Job and in his Red Book, you risk uh, psychosis. Because allowing this darkness to flood in to your being is very dark and troubling for a lot of people. And arguably the same can be said about allowing the light to flood into your life. Because the life, the light flooding into your life can be just as jarring to many people. And you'll see these people who trade uh, hope and trust for blind faith. And they're just as misled as those who embrace the darkness alone. As Jung said, we need to come to this uh, enantiodromia, this, um, I can't remember how he actually explained it, this, this alternation uh, of the opposites or the alternation of, um, I can't remember exactly how, uh, how he said it. But this truth that we all must revert to the opposite, this vacillation I've talked about. So not only do you need to embrace the truth that life is a series of, of, of experiences, uh, most often unpleasant, uh, strung together. That's our experience. That's the two characters of human being in Japanese and Chinese. But when you string these experiences together, in English we call that uh, vicissitudes. Well, a word related to that is vacillation. Vacillation. Vacillation is to move from one to another, back and forth. It's not a union. It's not a uh, conjoining. It's not a communion. It is truly a duality. So truly, this understanding, as I said before, to quote St. John of the Cross, these, these understandings, these truths are not understood, are not experienced when sought, but only when found and practiced. So for me, this 
single character, yes, made up of two characters, is the teaching of Zen, of Vedanta, of Shaivism, nearly every Buddhism. It's the teachings of Christianity as well. Because that was Carl Jung's attempt. I don't understand why some people say Carl Jung's axiom is so scary. I adore it. It teaches us exactly this truth, that Christ is but a template, just like Nietzsche's Ubermensch. Arguably, maybe Jung was smarter than Nietzsche. Because Nietzsche wasn't writing for himself. He wasn't writing for his people of his time. So why would he be afraid of being a heretic? Because he wrote Zarathustra as a subversive way to attack this idea of Christ as a template. Because we had lost faith in this truth that Christ is the best of us and he should be used as a moonshot goal. Christ should be our template. As uh, Austin Cleon says in his book, uh, You Ain't Steal Like an Artist, you have to try to clone who you want to be to try to get to where you truly are. Because it's in the failure to clone, say, an idol, an idol or your template, that's where you truly achieve this individuation process. Because you can never truly know who or what you are. It's this via negativo. You can only do it by figuring out what you're not. And that might be the reason why it's so difficult. But, you know me. I could just keep going for days. So I'll leave it at that. I just wanted to share some of these uh, fairly simple insights. As I said, Carl Jung talks about this and he's trying to um, find a union between Nietzsche's uh, uh, Ubermensch and uh, Christ, uh, the Bodhisattva in Buddhism, or as I said, uh, in Vedanta and Shaivism in Tantra, it's a little tougher because we don't talk about um, a template or or somebody external who's perfect because you are that perfection. You already are complete. Om um, Tat uh, Sat, right? Uh, being, uh, it's a universe being joy. You are already complete. You are already perfect. Uh, so it gets a little difficult when it gets into Tantra. That's why I've spent so much time trying to learn about some of these other uh, traditions because mine's a little different than others. Um, I personally think we've kind of stripped some of the BS out of it, but neither here nor there. This is why Jung went back to Christ because using these archetypes that people are familiar with um, can more easily educate. Just like modern teachers nowadays might use Pinocchio or um, uh, or or a, a modern movie to try to explain a concept from uh, antiquity, right? Um, call it uh, the philosophy of philology, uh, you know, made uh, made modern. I don't know, I was trying to find a P word, but I couldn't think of anything that fit, but on that note, you all have a fabulous day, and uh, I can't thank you enough for listening this long. As I said, uh, they really haven't changed. Uh, my podcasts were always just for me, for me to help um, put together these thoughts and these ideas. 
to allow myself. I mean, I'm actually going to call, uh, today's the first day of uh, a year of me. Uh, and as me, as me that I am, my year is, it looks like it's going to be about 13 months. So it, it fits. Absolutely weird and uh, and uh, convention breaking from the, from the get-go. But this idea of the individuation process begins with learning how to read and write and think and speak. So I've done that, it seems. Uh, I've, I've gone and I've played now, as I've said for years, uh, with the Hemingway app to try to learn to read and write. Uh, Grammarly, I use the app, but I don't use the app. I have used the app to learn grammar. And as E.E. Cummings said, I learned to use it so that I can break those rules. Uh, the Hemingway app now, without any, any sort of uh, uh, reins on my writing at this point, I'm able to write at about a grade 5 or 6 level. With a little bit of correction, I can get that down uh, even a little bit lower. Uh, so I think I'm ready when it comes to that. So now, the next step is narrative theory. I've begun uh, to figure out who and what I am so that I may cast that aside uh, to figure out <laughs> who I'm going to be. But on that, uh, as I said, um, I've only begun thanking and talking as if there was an audience because, it, well, just recently Spotify, uh, I use Anchor. Uh, I had to do all this on my phone because, I, again, I told you a few years ago, uh, not so good with computers. Fast forward to today, I ordered a computer and I'm going to try to do this a little bit better and, and go uh, mainstream. Uh, I set up a substack uh, for the tragedy of trauma. Uh, I'm going to uh, write it uh, and share uh, these insights as a book. Teaching about tragedy is what we used to call trauma. Uh, trauma as we know it today and the tragedy of trauma itself, which happens to be that it doesn't have to be a tragedy. Right? It doesn't have to be a trauma. The real tragedy of trauma is that it doesn't have to be. Right? If we were to just teach how it it should be, we can preempt the majority of uh, the tragedy and the trauma. Right? The tragedy can be lessened, experienced. But uh, I just noticed uh, that I have uh, I have a few loyal viewers. Uh, in fact. Uh, Seems to be quite more than, quite a few more than I ever would have thought, and uh, quite a few of you have me in your top ten, which I am astounded by because I'm not even in my top ten. Uh, I really don't enjoy listening to my um, podcast. I do have to listen to uh, a little bit of it um, to make sure, obviously, the audio is good. But as I said, some of these podcasts are strictly for me uh, to try to suss out some of this understanding, right? But I think I've gotten to the point now where my understanding is there. Um, as I said, just as example, I never understood why people find uh, Carl Jung so difficult to read, but I think I figured it out because reading Ion, it's scary because it talks about that you have a darkness in you that you have to come to terms with and at the same time um, not embracing that truth uh, actually uh, disenfranchises you from your true beauty, right? Uh, as I said before, uh, and I'm paraphrasing from the German, but Nietzsche said, uh, all great pleasure must have its roots in great suffering, right? This is the duality of non-duality, that once you embrace this truth, as I said with the time, 
they tend to translate ma as the interstitial pieces of time, right? The time between, you know, major events. But it's wrong, right? Truly, ma is time, the passage of. But the reason why we think it's separate from all the other periods of time is because we're paying attention. So the real lesson is to have no separation, no bifurcation. There is but your experience, your time. And you need to make that as precious as possible. Basho and ma, mu. Mu is there is no separation between the times that you're busy and distracted and the times you're focused and aware. The only difference is how you label them, how you perceive them, how you embrace them. So on that, I bid you adieu.